So watching the pay-per-view rewind, SummerSlam 95, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon ladder match, um, I actually watched some of the match that preceded that, which was Bret Hart against Isaac Yankum, better known to you and yours as the Big Red Machine Kane, better known to his family as Glenn Jacobs. Glenn Jacobs running for political office. If I had told you in 1995 that Isaac Yankum would go down as one of the great characters in wrestling history and potentially win public office, you would have looked at me side-eyed, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love, though, I love that that lineage has been scraped from uh, from Glenn Jacobs' Kane history. In fact, to the point that when WWE chalks up their records, they don't count Isaac Yankum's Royal Rumble appearance under Kane's record-breaking lineage there. It's like it never happened, Nick. No, and it's, it is kind of strange because it's like it actually, if you look at Isaac Yankum, it's Kane because it's 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 the same guy. That's got to be one of the worst gimmicks ever. Now imagine you're Glenn Jacobs, right? And you go in there for your first ever. Like you're, they're going to tell you who you're going to be, what your character is going to be. And Vince goes, "You know what, Glenn? I've got this great idea. You're going to play an evil dentist, and your finisher is going to be called the DDS, and it's going to be a DDT. But we're going to change one of the letters." Glenn Jacobs was probably devastated when he first heard that. Like, who the hell besides for Vince would think that was a good idea? <laughs> it's like it's like you got to wonder how happy is young aspiring wrestler Glenn Jacobs in that moment? How happy is Kane years later looking back? I mean, how happy are the fans? How happy is Katie Thick? <laughs> exactly. All right, hit my music. In This Corner with Brian Campbell Podcast, the professional wrestling edition. Me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and later this week, I'm heading to Las Vegas for a weekend sojourn to sign up for the Hilton Super Contest for the NFL season, and here is the height of my insecurity. I need to rearrange my entire schedule on Thursday. We taped this on Wednesday. I had to rearrange my whole schedule on Thursday to make sure that I could go get a haircut because I feel like I cannot be seen in public by people in Las Vegas if my hair is not looking in tip-top shape to the point where I was actually almost sweating while I was thinking about it. That's how important my physical appearance is to me because I am a petty, pathetic insecure little man who needs your likes and validation to get through the day on Instagram at the Costos. Follow me and like my pics so I can sleep better at night. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First up, he is the man. He is the myth. He is the legend. He's wearing a backwards cap in the office, which seems like an awkward move, but hey, more power to him. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Just while I'm recording, hey now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the showstopper. My man. He is the main event. One time. He is the whole effing show. Don't stop. He is the bod that runs the pod. Bring it. He is the mast that guides the cast. Oh, yeah. Come on. He is the Brian Campbell. Yeah. BC, tell us what's on the podcast. 
Do yourselves a favor and get some of this. We don't just have a big show for you today. Well, some might say we've got a monster of a show for you today. Yes, the monster among men, Braun Strowman, will join us later for an interview to preview his fatal four-way main event at SummerSlam on August 20th. We'll also recap the week that was in WWE preview the final weekend of NJPW's G1 Climax Tournament, including that Okada Omega 3 matchup, and answer your DM dives in our weekly segment. We will also take you back into the archives for a pay-per-view rewind to look at SummerSlam 95 HBK Razor Ramon Part 2. Heck, we may even F around and do a good Lucha thing while we're at it. I'm here to stay. Make make a, make a, uh, a good, good Lucha, Lucha thing. <laughs> God damn but in the end, you know why you're here. It's that wonder drug that actually works wonders, the performance-enhancing audio, the kind you'll only hear on In This Corner. So why not get this party started by handing the keys back to the most passionate man in North America, South Florida's most eligible bachelor, a man who lives right near the beach. Bye! Nick Costos. And Nick, when you say, you know, like my picks on Instagram, you do have a hard and fast rule. No stick picks, right? Um, no stick picks ever, of course. That is the one rule out of all the picks that you put up on Instagram at the Costos. No stick picks. Of course, everybody knows that, Brian Campbell. And that was always an awesome introduction from the Victor Conti, the Cousin Yuri, the King Balco the first of our performance-enhancing audio kingdom, the Brian Campbell, the man whose name is on the marquee. Gentlemen, as always, we begin with the main event. This is the main event! You know, the Howard Finkel uh, voice there really makes it seem like something epic is coming up here, and you know... I'm going to take you behind the curtain here because Brian and I are texting earlier today, and Brian actually texted me, what do you think we should do in the main events? And I said to him, I'm not really sure. Normally we know. Like, we don't have to talk about it. We know what the main event's going to be because something big has happened. This was not the best week of WWE programming, what we saw on Raw and SmackDown. So we're deciding to go in a little bit of a different direction, and we are going to talk about the overall build towards SummerSlam, and overall macro thoughts of what we saw from Raw and SmackDown. We'll get deeper into the micro-analysis with Hero and Zero later on in the show. But, Bri, SummerSlam now, a couple weeks away, a week and a half as we do this here on a Wednesday. I don't know if this build has been that great. Uh, curious to get your take on it, what WWE gave us on Raw and SmackDown to make you excited for the biggest party of the summer. You know, they're not getting me excited. It's not a great build. They're, they're leaning on, they're leaning on big spots to get us there. And that's what you saw on Raw this week. I'm not going to criticize Raw. I, I can only limit how much I'm going to criticize with it because it was entertaining, but you're sacrificing the story for big spots. And then on SmackDown, you're just rolling out tired booking that mindless booking, if you will, that makes no sense. And it really hurts to be two weeks out from a card that always delivers. And if you look at the names and the matchups on this card, you should, in theory, be fi fired up for what's going to deliver. But two weeks out, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Outside of a few, well, I'm really excited for that match type of feelings to where you just want to see what it looks like, right? I want to see what this fatal four-way main event looks like because it's going to be so violent. Outside of a couple of those, 
we don't have some storylines where you're like, man, where's the next turn going? And I think that connects back to some of this sort of mail-in mindless booking. I mean, it kind of stretches back three to four months if you really take a broader scope at it. From Money in the Bank through Great Balls of Fire, I think they're announcing the main event feuds and specifically the main event matches too early. And there's not a steady, strong build to get there. And it's a lot of, hey, guys, we're going to do this really awesome thing two months from now. But from now until then, it might not be that awesome to get there. I mean, how else can you guys sort of sum up the week that was when it's just one match, one finish after another that you're either going, why is that in the main event? Or why are you going to make that guy lose cleanly when all it's going to do is make him look bad? I have, I cannot put the dots and connect them myself. Where are you, where are you sitting at, Nick? You know, I talked about it last week when I went on that rant about how it pisses me off sometimes that like, I have, like, we have to watch the product because we do this pod. We love wrestling, but like, we like good wrestling. Like, just because I love professional wrestling and I've been watching my whole life doesn't mean I like to watch Drek. Doesn't mean I like to watch crap. And what we're getting right now is crap. It's not good. And I find myself not excited to sit down when 8 o'clock rolls around, knowing I've got three hours invested <laughs> in Monday Night Raw, and then another two coming up in SmackDown Live and in this loaded card for SummerSlam. And I say loaded not because it's great, but because it's going to be 15 hours long. There's two <laughs> matches that really excite me. Number one is obviously the Raw main event, which I think everybody's pretty jazzed for. It should be pretty good. And I'm into the Owen Styles U.S. Championship match, and I like the wrinkle. Shane McMahon is a special referee. I liked what we saw in that segment on SmackDown Live this week. More on that coming up a little later here. But everything else, I can't say I'm that into. New Day Uso should be a pretty good match, but I mean, am I terribly excited to see it? I can't say I am. I don't think the build's been great. And Raw was basically a mail-in show this week. SmackDown felt like a little bit of a mail-in show as well. Bottom line, the product hasn't been good recently. Like, WWE has not delivered recently at the level that we are accustomed and that we want as viewers and analysts and people that have to sit there and watch it and then talk about it that coming week here. So it really has fallen flat for me on that level. I know. It's 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 not just board, it's that next level to onboard, brother. Look at all of this crap in this ring. <laughs> and you can't be in that spot where you where you're throwing around that mean gene line two weeks out. And it's like, look at the SmackDown main event. How do you justify this, right? You rebook a Randy Orton Jinder Mahal match that nobody wants or cares about, right? I actually think you can it. just I think you can justify it, but go on. I think you can. Well no, because we've seen it, right, for like the last four months and Randy Orton loses every time. Why would they feel the need to give him a comeuppance when he's proven throughout that feud that he loses every time he runs up against the Jinder Mahal machine, which, of course, includes, you know, whoever he's pulling out, the Singh brothers or, or Kali even in that one match. I feel like Why Mahatma does... Gandhi interfered in one of those matches as well, came back from the dead and helped Jinder win. <laughs> it's like at this point... Why Why would we care to watch that main event? So the Singh brothers aren't there because they're injured, okay? Why would we care to see Randy go back over? And then in those closing seconds, like you knew it was going to happen, Rusev coming in with the kick. But the more important question, why do we care about Orton Rusev? And that sort of partially sums up the rest of the matches and feuds on SummerSlam outside of those big two that Nick mentioned. Why should we care about them? There hasn't been enough storyline kickoff in, in firepower on the inside to say, well, I care about this matchup and this storyline because I want to see this guy get come up and score this thing that happened. Or I want to see this guy win this belt because he deserves it. There's really none of that across the board. That main event summed it up. Why should we even care about Cena Baron Corbin, to be really honest yes, with you? Yes, good point. I couldn't wait for that segment to end for that exact reason. 
Why should I care? And to round it out on what was not just a little bit of a boring or bad SmackDown, really one of the worst, I I think, this calendar year. Mm. Why are you going to trot out your champion again? And you know. You know I hate it when champions lose on regular TV and non-title matches. We saw that with Jinder Mahal. We also saw that with Naomi. So she goes down to Carmella and the briefcase. Guys, the whole idea of the briefcase is I can't wait to see this chicken crap heel cash in the briefcase to see if they can steal one on the champion. No, but we're going to roll out that match anyway for no reason. What, just because Carmella said she wanted it? And then in a non-title match, we're going to let her beat the champion. How does that affect and help me care about that storyline more. I would rather her be a chicken crap heel who hangs on the outside and threatens to jump in and tease it than see her in that match. Somebody, Silver King, explain to me why I should care and understand the SmackDown booking scheme. No, you shouldn't. It's, it's awful. Orton got a clean, I mean, we can go through it. Orton got a clean pin on Jinder Mahal, the WWE champion. The announcers don't once mention that a title shot should be in his future. Carmella got a, not a clean win, but she got a win over the women's champion. Not once was it mentioned, well, you know she has the money in the bank, but she also now deserves a one-on-one match with Naomi. I think you're expecting too much from, from, from fake rest. Like, you're no. not, you're, you're, you're not wrong, but like, they never do stuff like that. No, no, that's how it works. If someone gets a clean win over a champion, they always say that every single time, and they usually give them that match the next week, and then they lose, and, and whatever other storyline continues. The Orton thing, just like with the Cena thing a week ago with, against Nakamura, you know, Cena losing clean to Nakamura did something for Nakamura. It at least helped him. It elevated him a little bit. The other thing, the other way, you know, he they buried the WWE champion. You want that interference to happen with Corbin in that match and then with Rusev here to continue those secondary match feuds. But none, no one cared. Neither of them mattered. No one's running to flip over to WWE Network pre-205 205 Live to watch what's going to happen there. Guys, that's bad. They're giving us a third shark cage match. In nine months with Enzo Amore and Big Show. I mean, uh, Big Show and Big Cast with Enzo Amore hanging up there. You know what would be better than the Shark Cage? Throw all three of them into shark-infested waters, I think, would be better than having a Shark Cage match. They gave us Rain Strowman, which, listen, that was awesome, and we love it, and we'll watch it. I'd watch that every week, probably, as long as there's a different wrinkle. But they could have given us Strowman Joe, which has not happened yet. It's, like you guys have said, it's repetitive, it's boring, it's predictable, and they're doing themselves absolutely no favors when we could sit here in a 30-minute short conversation between us three and say, hey guys, let's book SummerSlam and book some storylines and do a far better job than WWE is doing right now. So it makes me it makes you wonder, do they care? Because, OK, so they did the shark cage thing probably because there's a ton of those play rings sitting on the shelf that didn't sell over Christmas in, in Survivor Series when they tried it with Chris Jericho. So maybe I understand that no one cares about Enzo anyway. But in the other feuds, are they just at a lazy point where they're like, well, we got to get over these under storylines. Like you mentioned, Silver King, we got to get, you know, Corbin and Cena over and we got to have Rusev run in on somebody. So, hey, well, we'll throw out our champion and let him lose cleanly. Do they just not care at this point, Nick? Like what? Two weeks out from SummerSlam, you should be dropping bombs on the arenas, right? You know, I, I, I love that you brought up, because I wanted to mention it on last week's show, and I think we had too much going on, and I forgot to bring it up. It is the height, like, let's call it like like it is, right? And we tell you when the product's good, we tell you when it's bad, we're going to be honest with you. The product sucks right now, right? And it's lazy, and it's pathetic booking, right? It's like they say, okay, so we've got Randy Orton now. We want him to be on the SummerSlam card. Uh, Rusev doesn't have a match. Let's put them together. Like, why would Randy Orton feel the need to, 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 to answer Rusev's open challenge for SummerSlam competition? Like, where is the natural rivalry there? There is none. Baron Corbin and John Cena, that's put together at the last minute. Why? Because we don't have plans for Cena and we don't have plans for Corbin. So let's put them in a match. It's the height of laziness. And it's really, really freaking bad. And it's kind 
kind of insulting to me, someone who's watched wrestling for 30 years now, that this is the crap that's being trotted out there now on a weekly basis and the shark cage thing. That promo with Cass and Angle, this is, and Brian, you said it last week in the DM question, how would you change WWE? Stop scripting the damn promo so much. And Cass goes back there and they have this conversation with Angle and it's obviously forced and they're obviously both reading lines that they memorized. He goes, Oh, you know what? What do you what do you think I should do? Put him in a shark cage? And Cass goes, "Yeah, that is what I want." Or that's what was written for you. Real people don't talk like that, and you're not good at delivering the lines. It's bad, man. Like Raw has not been good outside of a few bright spots. You better have some at a three-hour marathon show. I didn't think SmackDown was as bad as you did, but it was not very good. And now it's a couple weeks in a row where five hours of my week. The precious time that I spend, that I don't have a lot of free time right now, I spend watching this garbage? Really? In front of the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, arguably? Really? Like, this is what you're putting out there? Give me a frickin' break. Give me something better. Absolutely. Just to close on this, even the things that worked on Raw, mostly that that match Silver King mentioned with Reigns and Strowman, you're still sort of sacrificing the long-term goal by giving away such really good spots on Raw. And the finish sucked! We'll talk about the finish, but it was bad! Yeah, I didn't hate the finish as much, maybe because they they won me to a degree with the big spots. But as I'm taking in these big spots, it's sort of like eating your dessert before your dinner. I still kind of feel bad going like, this is robbing from how good this main event will be on SummerSlam night. Because for the second week in a row, I'm seeing most of the competitors in that match involved doing really big spots because we don't know what else to do to get ratings. And that is, I mean, that, that's the end of it. We can go on another half hour ranting and raving. You know what the fix is? Let your creative people be creative. From your writers to your performers, that's your fix. No, I think the fix is let the performers be creative because creative stinks right now. It's, and, and, and I don't, and look, I've said that I don't blame a lot of these wrestlers for what's going on here. Um, I blame creative and I'm looking at the rundown here and, and, and I know we're going to mention Jason Jordan at some point here, but I got to like, who's writing Jason Jordan's material? Who is dressing Jason Jordan? Like who put him out there in that? This, and, and it's not to get into a conversation about Jason Jordan. That is symptomatic of the larger problem here, which is creative has their heads so far up there. You know what? They don't know what the hell they're doing right now. And, and, and they're wasting valuable time and real estate here and putting forth a product that's not very good. And not just time in real estate, to that exact same point, until Bailey, and we'll talk about Bailey later as well, until she just happened to get injured legitimately, there was a chance that WWE's trying to build up women's wrestling, and neither Sasha Banks, nor Becky Lynch, nor Charlotte would have been at SummerSlam. Like, that was legitimately, seemingly, going to happen. And still, there's nothing for Lynch or Charlotte right now. So, and and you know what? Sasha Banks may not be there either if she loses to Nia Jax. So... They're trying to build up this women's wrestling, and they don't even have anything for their best performers. They'll find things for John Cena and Randy Orton, two old-timers. Orton, I mean. Well, well, let's let's not. No, Cena's great. It's not an apples to apples No, it's not. No, it's not. And Cena's great. But Orton I could do without. I'd rather see a Charlotte-Becky Lynch match than Orton-Rusev. I hope you guys would agree with that. Maybe Triple H's plans for them for his SummerSlam entrance. You know, they did come out at WrestleMania 30, those three women, and uh, carry skulls for him, right? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that's maybe that's where – what were they dressed up as? Remember that in New Orleans? That, that was maybe. pretty cool. I was there for that. That was great. I would like that kind of booking instead of what the, the direct that we're getting now, which – I mean, I, I, am I like – like, do you think I'm going over the top here no. Like, with how bad this is? Like, you guys agree? Like, because the feeling that I'm getting – and I mean this seriously. Like, you know when you're really excited. Like, I love Game of Thrones. Like, when Game of Thrones comes on, I'm, like, shaking at 8.55 p.m. Eastern time, right? I, I can't wait for what's going to come. It's reaching the point now where it's 7.55 Eastern on Monday night where I'm like, ugh. 
Yep. I got to sit through this garbage. Yeah. I got I got th- three hours of my life that I'm about to put into this. And guess what? The timing's awful because SummerSlam is going to end. Seemingly, they have no direction to go with any of this stuff. And guess what's coming up in three weeks? Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football. And they are in massive trouble if they think what they are currently putting on TV is going to do any numbers against Monday Night Football. And this, you can't put out mid-April booking on, on, you know, the first week of August. That's the bottom line. It, it's not good. You know what is good, though? The second part of our double main event, the G1 tournament in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, as we tape this on Wednesday, allow me to set the scene here. We are eight matches in for each wrestler, and God bless each of the, all 20 of these guys for, like, what they, this has been an insane physical toll, wrestling basically every day for a month straight with a couple days off here and there. So, in the A block right now, only two people can win, Tetsuya Naito and Tanahashi. They will face each other in the finals of the A block, and in the B block, only two wrestlers can win, Kaz Okada and Kenny Omega, and those two will face off August 12th in the finals of the B block here. Let's begin there. We are, like, now I'm starting to get excited. I'm getting goosebumps. Like, this is how I should feel for Raw. We are days away from Omega Okada 3, two of the best matches of all time in this calendar year, and we're about to get the third. I legitimately, Brian, have goosebumps right now. I cannot, cannot wait for this match. I mean, this is the best thing in wrestling. This is the best thing going, you know, all summer, all year, really. You know, for the few that they put together, the three, the two matches, now we're guaranteed this third one. The winner wins this block. It really could be a pivotal match in their overall feud when you consider, you know, one of these guys could win this tournament, could get that guaranteed main event slot there at Wrestle Kingdom in January. The questions start to start to get you fired up because you're like, what can they do differently? The 30-minute time limit in this match, right? So it's not going to be the 60-minute Broadway of the second one or the 50-minute firework amazing spot fest of the first one. You know, at first I started to think, well, maybe they can surprise us with like a Lesnar-Goldberg Survivor Series type of squash match you didn't see coming I, I don't think they'll go there because this is a legitimate main event of a one-night card that people have been planning forever but this is has the potential to storyline wise swerve you and set you up for the future in a big way outside of how good the actual match is going to be I'm almost rest assured that the actual match won't beat the first two because how can they, it can't. right no but, it can't it's going to be a four and a half star match at minimum, right? I mean, it's going to be incredible. So I start to, to want to start booking the damn territory and go, how do we get from here to January at Wrestle Kingdom when you really blow it off and make it worth it? For me, I think you have to stay with that storyline that you're building, that Omega, despite a little bit outperforming Okada and performing at a level of the greatest wrestler in the world right now, can't get over that hump and be Okada, right? He came so close that first time, couldn't hit the one-winged angel, finally did it in the rematch, leg on the ropes in a yeah. great spot, and they go Broadway just as, you know, Kenny scurrying for a pin down the stretch. I think you use the tease of the Bullet Club trying to blow up internally, of Tama Tonga, of Cody Rhodes in, in, in that U.S. appearance for, the, for that G1 USA special. You use that sort of brewing thing to rob Kenny of a victory here, but you keep having that that you know briefcase on the line where Kenny can win himself back into that Wrestle Kingdom match and that big blow off down the road when he finally goes over Okada, finally wins that IWGP Heavyweight Championship. That's one idea. That's one example you can go, but I'm firing myself up thinking about how we get there, Nick. Yeah, um, the wrinkle here with this that I think is pretty fascinating because I think we all thought – 
they would end up tied going into this match in terms of the the uh, the points. Okada's ahead by one. So Okada's got 13 points and Omega's got 12. So if they draw, if it goes to a 30-minute time limit, Okada wins the B block and Okada moves on to the finals. If I'm booking this, what I think is going to happen, I think this match goes to a draw again. Okada wins, and I don't know what happens in the final there. I think maybe if Okada wins, then you have to put him over and he wins the G1. And then you do Omega Okada 4 at Wrestle Kingdom, where Okada chooses his competition. He chooses Kenny Omega because he needs to end it once and for all. And then, and only then, after an Okada win, a draw at Dominion, a draw in the finals of the B block, do we get the Kenny Omega victory in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. That's how I would do it. So I think you need him, you need Kenny Omega in the main event of the G1, in my opinion. I don't think, I understand that it has happened before and does happen occasionally, that the champion can win the G1 and take it forward. What I want to see is Omega beating Okada, but not with the one-winged angel, not, you know, just out-wrestling him in the match, but a roll-up victory. Something that surprises him or shocks him a little bit. And then you run the storyline of, you know, you and we did see that, by the way, when Juice Robinson upset Omega, I think in the seventh match. That's mm-hmm. exactly how it happened. He, he, we flipped out of the one-winged angel and rolled him up and got the one-two-three on it, Omega. Exactly. So you do something that gives gives Okada an out. I, yeah, I lost, but it wasn't really a real loss. He didn't take me down for 60 minutes and fully defeat me and destroy me and own me like he's been trying to do. So that's probably what I would do because I would still want to see Kenny Omega, the U.S. champion, coming out of G1 with that quote-unquote contract and that opportunity. I think if you're going to build a major feud like that, build it. Don't have Naito win and then have Omega have to win it, you know, win the opportunity. And I understand there's some storyline development, but they have plenty of incredible wrestlers that they can get involved where they do not need to have Naito waste, you know, three months or however many months, you know, getting involved with this Omega thing. So I want to see a long, drawn-out feud. I want the anticipation and the intensity to build. And WWE has shown us that John Cena, The Rock, uh, some of these other matches that they book, you know, well in advance and they have months to get there, that they can book it out storyline wise, even without mentioning it and having, you know, that main guy, whether it's Omega or whether it's Okada, do other things in the interim. So that's how I would do it. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, Nick, are you guaranteed that if they finish in a tie that, that Okada would go over? Because I read in the rules that they can't, it they, would they, go they, to the guy who won the head to head. But they can't finish in a tie. If if they finished in a tie, it would go to the guy who won their head-to-head match. And yep. In this case, their head-to-head would be a no, draw. No, right? but, they, but they can't finish in a tie because Okada's up by one point here. So they can't. Like if they draw, Okada wins. Uh-huh. If Okada wins, Okada wins. If Omega wins, Omega wins. So they they can't finish in a tie. But if they were to finish in a tie, it would be the winner of that match would eventually uh, go on to the finals of the G1. So we can't wait yes. for it coming up August. It actually kind of sucks. I'm going to be in Las Vegas this weekend, so I'm not going to be able to watch it live. But I am going to stay off social media until I get home on Sunday night, and I will watch it as if I am watching it live, and I am going to mark the F out for Omega and Okada. Now, before we move on here, Three matches that I'd like to get your guys' take on, because that's what we've done here. We, uh, we'll hit the big storyline and then the matches that really stood out this past weekend. We, this is the greatness of G1. I feel like every week we've talked about a different under-the-radar performer. For me, at first it was Zack Sabre Jr. For Silverstein, it was Kota Ibushi. Not that Kota's under the radar, but Silverstein really loves Ibushi. And for Bri, for you, it was Sonata for a while. You loved him. I think after what we saw this past week, it is... The, the Prince of Darkness, evil, because evil had back-to-back 
four and a half plus star matches, first with Kenny Omega, and then he defeats Okada clean after the STO. Evil to me, the breakout star of this tournament, Bri. Did you get a chance to see those two matches? And if so, what were, what were your takes? Uh, they were incredible. I mean, Evil is a guy who, you know, upon seeing it, a gimmick is great, right? You know, but I instantly wonder if he could back that up in the ring. And I think over, I think his matches got better as the tournament went on. Yes. And he's clearly one of these unsung heroes. I mean, that table spot that I referenced last week with Kenny Omega was incredible. One of the spots of the tournament, you saw a lot of guys just play out of their, their wrestle out of their limits, or at least the limits that I had coming in for them of the little knowledge I had as I started to form it together. Many unsung heroes almost want to give out awards like Juice Robinson as just a pure baby face, you know, coming in there, getting a couple upset wins, just play, always selling that left knee injury. He was absolutely incredible. Just as a pure heel, Minoru Suzuki, who we put over two weeks ago, was absolutely incredible. Well, Ibushi may have been the best worker in this overall tournament, but when you talk about the guy, the match that when it, when you're trying to power watch for five of these matches and one comes up and you're like, Ooh, I hadn't planned on watching this, but you know what? This guy, I got to see it. Obviously it could, it could be Kenny Omega for everybody. The one guy you wouldn't skip over, but man, Toriano, Nick, I can't turn away from a Toriano match. Some of these have been three minutes. Some of these have been five minutes. Some of these have been 60 seconds and there's such brilliant, subtle, funny storytelling. And so and somebody's always going to get punched in the nuts or the referee's going to block the punch or the referee might step in and get punched in the nuts. It's comedy. The way that these guys have stepped up and been the garnish around the meat of these top three or four guys has been absolutely incredible. I want to give one question, though, before we end, end and close this NJPW. You guys pick and pick one guy from the WWE roster right now, and you could say you can enter this guy in next year's G1. Who are you picking? Roman Reigns. I mean, if it's not AJ Styles, because Styles has sort of been there, done that in NJPW, I think Roman Reigns would be unfrickin' believable in, in G1 and in New Japan. Un, unbelievable. Because he wouldn't have to talk. I mean, he's pretty good on the mic, but you just put him out there in the ring. I mean, he'd be putting on four-star matches on a nightly basis with some of these guys. I'd pick someone who would elevate their career by being in it. So I would say Dolph Ziggler. You put Dolph Ziggler in there and let him run and let him actually work with guys that can work and get him over and he can put them over. You're talking about a superstar. He would be a superstar in NJPW. Those are great picks. I think Seth Rollins fits right in that category of you want to see how great Seth Rollins can actually be. That's the type of matches. And one other sneaky pick, guys, Braun Strowman. Would you love to see his athleticism? You look what Big Mike's doing in NJPW. You can imagine Braun Strowman in that tournament well, right now. Well, Braun Strowman, what he would be, would be a like souped up, amplified, steroided out version of uh, of Bad Luck Fale because he's basically like Fale except a hundred times better than Bad Luck Fale is in in, in that big guy role. Uh, Sami Zayn would be another name I'd throw yeah. out there who I think would be great. And one other match before we move on: um, Suzuki and Okada. Uh, this was recent, so I don't know if you guys saw it. Um, this might have been the stiffest match I've ever watched. I mean, and the closing sequence, it goes to a draw, that it ends in a draw, where they legitimately are standing next to each other, side not next to each other, but facing each other in the ring, taking turns, smacking the hell out of each other in the face, not pulling it, actually smacking each other in the face for a couple, like, this, this crap's gotta hurt, man. I mean, that was a physical, brutal match with Suzuki and Okada. And you love the throw, the throwback and the callback there because, you know, Suzuki goes back so far that he fought in pan, pre-UFC Pancrase days where you couldn't do close-fisted shots. You had to slap people back when he fought Ken Shamrock back in those days. That was some electrically stiff stuff to the point where I almost was like, oh, that's, that's too far. It's right? uncomfortable at points, yeah. right, when they're nailing each other in the face like that. I didn't see the match, but I saw that part of the match. Someone posted the video on uh, Twitter. 
And what it made me immediately want to do, I haven't done it yet, but it's on my to-do list, is I want to go Google Minoru Suzuki, Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm sure they fought at some point, probably a lot of times, and I want to see what happened there. Because those type of matches would probably be amazing. Um, I, I'm happy you mentioned this here, because we don't have it on the rundown for the rest of the show here, so I want to ask you guys now, um, the Nakamura sit-down interview slash... Now what we're going to see with Nakamura and Jinder Mahal at SummerSlam, are you? And I know we're sort of going back to the first main event topic, but want to hit it here quickly. Are we in or out here, excited or not excited for Nakamura, Jinder Mahal, BC? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not really excited about that. And I thought that promo was brutal because of how much B-roll they used to hide from the fact that, that he Nakamura can't, that he can't probably... talk. That he can't talk, that he's probably reading from a prompter or someone prompting him. I thought that it really made it seem artificial. Yeah, I liked the way it closed with with Nakamura, the way he delivered that word. He can deliver one and two word phrases perfectly, right? But no, they don't have me fired up for this. And to make, by the way, you know how to kill this feud? Let Jinder Mahal go out there against his former foe and get pinned cleanly. That's how you kill this feud. No. That, you can't say you, you can't say this without saying that, Nick. You can't bring you know that it's all part of it. No, but they had to like Orton had to get his heat back. Like why? Because he because he jobbed three three pay per views in a row and they're paying him over a million dollars a year. It's a huge investment for them. I mean, like like if I'm Randy Orton, you're damn right. Like, I have no problem with with that decision to put Orton over Jinder. Jinder went over Orton did the favors for Jinder at three consecutive pay per views where Jinder had been nothing but a opening card Jobert for the entirety of his career. And so, at some point, Jinder needs to return the favor. So, he didn't lose the title. I don't think it hurts Jinder that much, because with the short attention span nowadays, who the hell really cares? And Nakamura will probably win at SummerSlam anyway, and we won't have, we won't have Jinder as the champion anymore. Like, that had to, ha- I'm shocked that both of you were so anti that decision. It had to happen, or else Orton has oh. no credibility. And, but like it or not, Randy Orton, I like the buzzer, Randy Orton is more important to WWE than Jinder Mahal is. He absolutely is. I didn't hate the decision to put him over. I think you get Rusev in there, he distracts. Uh, you say after the match, well, Orton just beat the WWE champion. They didn't mention that Jinder Mahal was the WWE no, champion. No, but they called it a grudge match throughout the show, which is basically their way of saying, look, this is a one-off match and then it's done. doesn't look. need it. You know who didn't need comeuppance after he after he jobbed to people? Ric Flair in the 90s. He jobbed to everyone to help put them over to an excessive point. He didn't need to come back the next week and beat the champion in a non-title match because he's doing business. He was already a legend. Randy Orton, already a legend, getting those large checks that you already mentioned that he heckles the indie wrestlers on Twitter about. He don't need to come back and pin the champion right. clean. Right, he come put on. him. Right, he put him over three consecutive times. Like it wasn't. And he got paid for it. And that's what legends do, by the way. Legends, when they get to that second, the Twilight run. And I know he's early in that Twilight run, but they put people over. Nick, he just won at Roy- he won the Rumble. He won at WrestleMania. He won. You know, he won. Did he win House of Horse? I don't even know because I don't even care how that <laughs> ended. But he, I guess everybody lost that. But come on, dude, no. No, he he put Jinder Mahal over three times in a row. He had to get his heat back before SummerSlam to make his match with Rusev. Like, some reason to watch it, even though I still really don't want to watch it. That had to happen. It had to happen, and I, there should be no problem with that decision. I will, I will say this. If they put Rusev over Orton, then I'm more okay with it. If he does another job, I'm okay with it. But he could have gotten that heat back by beating Rusev. And by the way, they're burying Rusev. To get back to your... Initial question and to end this or or whatever, um, they have a WWE Championship match at SummerSlam, and the WWE Champion and his challenger have not been in a ring, backstage, anything together yet. There's zero build to this match at all. There's no reason to want to watch it, and there's no reason to think 
that anything exciting is going to happen. The hope is that Nakamura goes over and this Jinder Mahal trial is just dead in the water. Well, you know what that sounds like. The rest of the card at SummerSlam, which is haphazardly booked together besides for the United States Championship and the Raw Universal Championship. Brian, any closing words on the G1 here before we move on to Hero or Zero or anything else? Big picture from Raw and SmackDown. Just that it has changed me as a wrestling fan, and it's it's crazy that it's coinciding with a really low, you know, month and a half of WWE programming. Where this has changed me to where I ex- expect more, and at the, and you should, right? Sometimes I get so numbed to watching, you know, ninety percent of my my product watching is is today's WWE that I lower my standards and expectations because I get the big picture. There's no competition. I get the final score. This forces me to want more for my time that I invest, and I think that's a good thing. I think WWE picked a wrong time to put it in the tank as a lot of fans are jumping over to G1. Yeah, it's like you're hooking up with threes and fours, then all of a sudden you get with a nine, and all oh, those threes and fours don't look so good anymore, do they, Mr. Brian Campbell? You wouldn't know that you're married, but me, I'm living down by the beach. Boy! And with that, we make our transition, Brian Campbell, to the best of five series, known affectionately to you and yours as Hero or zero. Drop that zero and get with the hero. A week has passed. The sound still sucks for hero or zero. And with that, we <laughs> turn on, it over. Come on, Vanilla Ice, the coolest ice, one of the worst movies in movie history. You got to love that reference. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Silver King, the honorable judge here, will preside over our answers. He is corrupt like a Russian in the late 80s, uh, USSR, who constantly puts his comrade Brian Campbell over. I say, yet it's time for me to win. So let's fire it up, Silver King. Question number one. All right, guys. Raw on Monday opened with that verbal showdown between The Miz and Paul Heyman with Brock Lesnar running through The Miz and The Miztourage in dramatic fashion. Was this a special moment at all for you, or did it simply make no sense? B.C.? Unfortunately, it's a zero because it makes no sense. And it's a continuation for the second week in a row. You know you have limited Brock Lesnar dates on his part-time schedule. I don't know if it's a power struggle backstage or it's lazy booking. But if he's going to appear in the opening segment, you might want to have him later in the show in his actual feud when it matters, when an appearance would make sense. Instead, he comes out. Yeah, it's fun, guys, but it's fun at the price of uh, of screwing over the Miz. I mean, who cares about the Miz tries? They're there to take bumps. But once again, you're just you're not just destroying Miz in this spot. You're destroying the IC title Stop because it, it was supposed to be Miz with Jason Jordan. So they escalate that feud to a new level, make the IC belt matter, have an actual match heading into SummerSlam. Now I'm not even sure the Miz will be part of SummerSlam, and he just jobbed to Brock Lesnar. For no reason. It did nothing to put the main event picture forward. It was just, hey, Brock's in town tonight. Uh, you know, he's got to be out. He's got to play in at 8.50, so let's let him go throw around our IC champion. Zero. Um, you're so wrong here. Like, so wrong. And, like, before I give my answer, so just – I need to know something here. So, Bri, you go through the rundown, right? And Bri fills in the hero or zero questions. And then Silver King, do you add your spin on it? Like, do you rewrite this for your reading? It yeah, no? so what I'm going to ask. Okay, yeah. okay. So, based on this, I can tell what Silver King thinks. Zero, Silver King clearly thinks this was a zero since he editorialized the end of it here. So, this is what I want, Silver King. I don't want you to be corrupt. I don't want you to say, oh, I agree with Brian, so he gets the point. My answer is better, and I'm going to tell you why my answer is better. Because the opening segment of Raw was actually 
good. Who cares if it didn't advance the storyline? It entertained the hell out of me for 15 minutes. And what it did was take two of the best talkers in the company and really in the history of wrestling. And that's a major compliment to The Miz, but I think it's true at this point. And you had The Miz and Paul Heyman in a verbal teate, which was absolutely freaking Awesome. How great was it when Heyman was about to talk and Miz puts his hands up and goes, when my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut. And the crowd exploded for that one because you're waiting for what's going to happen. Miz cuts the great promo on Brock and on Heyman. And then Heyman has the great line, do you and your beautiful wife, are you guys into role playing? And then just sets the stage for Brock annihilating Axel, annihilating Bo Dallas, and then annihilating The Miz. So the segment was great. The segment is an absolute hero. And, Bri, you're a zero for your take that it destroyed the Intercontinental Championship. It's Brock frickin' Lesnar. I mean, he's billed as the Beast Incarnate. You think it hurts someone's credibility to lose to Brock Lesnar? John Cena and Brock Lesnar had a world title match at SummerSlam a couple years ago where John Cena got less offense than Clemson would if they played the New England Patriots in an NFL game game like you're kidding me right it hurt the intercontinental championship or it didn't hurt anything and it entertained everybody of course it's a hero it was great so nick gets a zero himself because you know what happens when you assume nick you make an ass out of you and me here's the thing did i editorialize it maybe a little bit but i told bc in slack during that segment that i was going to make it my feel spot this week i don't go on your stupid slack because i loved miz so much and my favorite moment of the entire thing was when that brock brock lesnar music hit and his face dropped like it a ghost. Great. He is a, a legitimate actor. It was a hero segment. You get the point. The one thing I like that BC said, if you're going to have Brock on the show, use him in the feud he's actually in. Moving on, number two here. WWE once again teased a partial reunion of The Shield on Monday, and the Toronto crowd was eating it up and popping huge. Are you enjoying this tease continuing, or did WWE screw it up by not pulling the trigger? Nick? Um, You know, we spent the first... You know, the majority of the show so far crushing WWE. Uh, I'll praise them a little bit for this, and I can't believe I'm saying this because um, I have been a very vocal, um, I'm anti-Dean Ambrose for the most part. I actually like Dean Ambrose in this role here, and as they, as when Ambrose stuck his fist out for the fist bump after Rollins came out for the save, after Ambrose didn't save Rollins earlier in the show, I was actually sitting there, and they marked me out. I'm like, do the fist bump. Like, I want to see it. I want to mark out here. And when he didn't, I laughed because they got me. They got me, and they are going to reunite at some point. They're going to probably have the tag team championship match at SummerSlam against Sheamus and Cesaro, and I would kind of be kind of be into that to see where the storyline goes. I think Rollins and, and Ambrose would win that match. At some point, they'd break up. Maybe Ambrose turns heel at that point. So I'm kind of into this. I will give this a hero. Yeah, I mean, you can give Nick the point because I would say the exact same thing. You want to know if this is a hero or zero? Just listen to the crowd. And I don't always agree with the crowd, but just listen to how much they pop at each step of this storyline. I got totally caught up, too, thinking it was going to be a predictable way to go. Instead, Rollins turns his back. That shows me they are telling a long story with details for all the feuds that they're not doing that in. They're doing it in this one. Give it a hero. Man, you can't be conceding points in this game and then expecting to win. That's 2-0 Nick entering question number three. Let's, let's go. Bailey has suffered a significant legitimate shoulder injury and will now miss SummerSlam and her women's championship match against Alexa Bliss. New number one contender will be decided Monday between Sasha Banks and Nia Jax. BC, was this a blessing in disguise for WWE? Hero or zero? Blessing in disguise is the best way to say it. This is a massive hero. This is a best case 
scenario. This fixed one of their blemish bookings on the way there. Whether you believe the rumors you hear out there of backstage heat for Sasha, it made or not, it made no sense that she her brand could be rebuilt and then she suddenly jobbed out to Bailey, who is so not over at this moment that when she tried to thank the crowd in Toronto and thank the WWE Universe for giving her, you know, well wishes on Twitter for the shoulder injury that she suffered against Nia Jax the week before, they booed her. And then when she called them out for booing her, they booed her again. I'm at the point, send her back to NXT and let her go on another run and main event. They could swap her out for Asuka at this point. It's over. This is the best thing that could have happened for them because now you stretch it out over two weeks. Of course, Banks and Jax were supposed to win their triple threat matches, but you got six women involved on a Raw card in matches that mattered. Now these two are going to fight next week. You think Banks is going to win, but you know what? Nia Jax could easily go over. The fact that we don't know is exciting. This is the exception to the rule on the overall SummerSlam build, where in this feud, we don't actually know who's going to be in it. We won't know until the week before SummerSlam. All the other matches we knew two months in advance, and now they're just waiting around, waiting for the match to happen and not booking. Massive hero. What do you mean you don't know? Of course you know Sasha Banks is going to win that match next. We're not going to do Nia Jax uh, heel versus heel at SummerSlam. Sasha Banks is going to win. Of course Sasha Banks is going to win. You do know what's going to happen there. It's, you know... This is very hypocritical by me. It really is because I was the biggest Bailey basher. Bailey had kind of won me over in the weeks preceding um, this past edition of Monday Night Raw, and I was kind of bummed by her injury because I was looking forward to this match. Bailey finally getting her comeuppance on Alexa Bliss, you know, beating her tormentor finally on one of the biggest pay per views of the year, and a match that I thought was, was almost guaranteed to be pretty good. Let them go out there and do their thing. Um, so I'm going to give it a zero here because honestly, I'm more into Bailey than I am to Sasha Banks at this point. I think both are kind of stale, but give me Bailey over Sasha Banks. Like you're, you're rolling your eyes at me, Brian. I see you on Skype. Like, why are you rolling your eyes at me? You're more into Bailey than Sasha. Are I'm more into Bailey than Sasha up? Banks. Yeah, I'm, that's, it's true. I got one thing to say about that. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. It could go, I could run that sound point on forever, but come on, Bailey is so, her brand is so damaged. Just how could you in one week make a flip and say suddenly I'm back into Bailey again? You buried her more than anyone. Go back two months on I old just, on our I, 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 I admitted it, but I've been a fan of her recent work, and Brian, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. And as for the Toronto crowd, look, I said last week, like literally seven days ago, that the Toronto crowd is up there with Chicago and with New York as the best crowds in WWE. And for the most part, their two-day stretch, the two-day Canadian stretch for on SmackDown, the crowd was very good. I did not like the Toronto crowd in that moment because I feel like if they were in any other city in the world, Bailey would not have gotten booed. That was the crowd putting themselves over in that spot. Like, they do that in L.A., in New York, in Chicago. Bailey's not getting booed because she's a sympathetic figure. Like, whether you dislike her character or not, like, the real human being suffered a shoulder injury. She's coming out to thank you for all the support for it. I thought that was pretty lame. Like, you want to boo the character? Boo the character. Don't boo the actual woman who suffered an injury while entertaining you to put yourselves over. Guess what? You're not part of the show, even though you really want to be. Fans are props. You supplement the show. You make the show better. You're not part of the show. I'm sorry. I did not like that from the Toronto crowd. Zero for me all around on the Bailey injury and the crowd response. I like the extra bit there from Nick going off on the uh, Toronto crowd, but look, it's a blessing in disguise. Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss, much better match at SummerSlam if that is how it winds up. Again, basically, this hero or zero is if you agree with Silver King, you get the point. I am the judge, so yeah, that is exactly how it works. All right, number uh, four here. There has been a wholesale overall to WWE entrance Entrances and entrance themes as of late. 
with the removal of pyro. But beyond that, they're changing the music, they're changing the graphics, everything. I'm going to go run through six or five, I didn't count yet, of the most recent changes. They've six all, or five. Whatever yeah. it is, I'm yeah. not counting. It's not, six. Not five, it's six. Not five or six, six or five. Six okay. or five, it's six. Uh, going to run through the ones that were changed actually within like the last two weeks. And all I want is one-word answers first, then we'll go to follow-up comments. A quick hero or zero on each one. Nick, you're going to go first on all of these. The Usos, they added a full slate of rap lyrics to their revamped entrance theme. Hero. BC. Uh, zero, I hadn't noticed. Uh, Baron Corbin, a brand new song, and they removed that whole dark cloud enveloping the city as part of his entrance. Nick. He's still bald. Zero. BC. Zero. It looks like a second-rate Kane entrance right now. He actually had something unique going. Kevin Owens is no longer using that Face of America graphics package where he has to walk around his face. Now it's just all red with some barbed wire. Nick. Who cares? Zero. Hero. Whatever. Who cares? It's, Hero. It's, it's the same exact thing. <laughs> Seth Rollins, they added a screaming, burn it down, in that one pause in his entrance. Nick. Uh, I think this is a massive hero. I really like the addition of burn it down. I'm into it. That's not one word, but that's okay. BC? A uh, giant zero. That His t-shirt that he now wears on the air with the flames on it, with with the architect gimmick, it's one of the worst connect contraptions I've ever seen. Big cast, they already have him on theme number two on this short singles run that he's had. Nick? Zero. I like the first one. I didn't think they need to change it. Uh, big hero. It's the only good thing going in that thing. It's it's a good guitar rock as opposed to some industrial, I'm going to go, you know, Ramstein style stuff. You know, come on, this is a hero. And Jason Jordan, they're giving him the big push, but they don't give him the great American alpha music. They give him something seemingly generic. Nick. Do. Do host. <laughs> Do host, Mish. I think that's German for zero because his entrance sucks, his look sucks. And Jason Jordan, he got booed as well by the Toronto crowd. NBC. Yeah, it's all right. Okay, so let's talk about this as a whole now. Hero or Zero on WWE, not just making these changes, but making so many in such a short period of time, and a lot of them, not good. You guys are giving me a lot of zeros. Nick, what do you think about all this? Um, I think the product sucks right now, and I think that a lot of this sucks too, so Zero. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of changing things unless it's really bad, right? Like John Cena puts out a new t-shirt design every six months. That's cool with me, but these songs become iconic. I don't want John Cena seen his theme song changing and right i know like in, in this specific case corbin's entry was actually cool that whole felt like you know motor oil was being poured down the video screens guess what the same week that he loses that jinder mahal has a new entrance where the floor suddenly feels like there's fire burning just like that motor oil entrance i don't know if they said hey this would work better on jinder so let's change up baron but switching all this stuff around just like pulling guys nicknames like goliath samson for no reason it's a zero quick point of order they don't show the jinder floor that much but that has been there his entire no, championship Run. And they did that with with the fire on the uh, on the ramp with Rollins with the burn. It down. I'm shocked that you you don't like the burn. I like the burn it down. Why is that bad? Are you talking to me? It's just it's oh, just, no, no. It's Who, whoever would like to challenge it. The burn <laughs> it down is good. What 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 about Seth Rollins has to do with fire or burn it down? Right? I mean, it just it's well, it's just well, it's gaudy. It's just extra. It's just see you know? now see now you were too busy like with Mark Milk all over your all over your face and all over your body during what was an average at best WrestleMania thirty three. So I'll give you a pass for missing this. But remember after Triple H's grandiose entrance when Rollins came out with the torch and put the torch down and the ramp went on fire? That's where it comes from. So I I, it, I, I like that recall back to it's it. It's also a big part of the WWE two K eighteen video game like. That's the commercial for it. So they're trying to shoehorn that in. I thought they could have gone with his cackling, like that that cackle laugh that he has in that blank spot, if you're going to add anything. He's not Ted DiBiase. It's just They're weird. not putting his laugh in his entrance theme. It's just by weird. the way, let's not revisionist history and say WrestleMania was average, guys. I mean, there was the point. It's not the revisionist history. Eight. It was average. 
at the seventy percent mark of the show, we were like, "Oh my god, is this going to be one of the be- one of the better WrestleManias we've ever seen?" Obviously, went a little bit downhill after a that. A little bit it's downhill. Maybe the ninth or tenth best WrestleMania we've ever seen. I mean, let's not act like it was average or off. It was right. average, uh, middle of the pack. It had some, and not seventy. But we were saying that like thirty percent through of the show, it's got no. a chance to go down as an all time great. And then we saw Orton and Bray Wyatt, <laughs> and of course Roman Reigns and the Undertaker basically went out there with walkers to close the show. It was awful. This was close. I'm going to give BC the point on this in general. Uh, it, you know, a lot of it was bad, and I think you articulated that just a little bit better. Number five here. Silver King doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Go ahead. No, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Number five, number uh, Lana was embarrassed again on SmackDown in a match um, and sunk to a new low this time by accidentally pulling down Charlotte's shorts with Flair mooning the entire Toronto crowd. They, Hero. They popped for that, and you know what? That's actually something that her dad did purposely. Plenty of times in WCW throughout his career. Anyway, after the match, the Lana Tamina relationship appeared to take a new turn, with Snuka saying it was time to get hers and that Lana would help her do it. How do you feel about this development and Lana possibly going from being an effective manager for Rusev to possibly a manager for Tamina Snuka, BC? Okay, so overall, this is a train wreck, right? We've talked about it, what, the train wreck making Lana a wrestler, a train wreck pulling her away from Rusev for whatever reason you want to believe. But since we're already down this road, since I've already pulled off the highway and I'm at the rest stop and the only thing to eat is hot dogs with cheese, in the, you know, inserted into the middle, I'm already there. I got to eat it, right? Kind of tastes pretty good. I'd rather this development happen in Lana Tamina than, than nothing at all. It's kind of a hero because I'm intrigued. I love when they pull someone out of Joe Bear, you know, uh, oblivion and actually do something with them. I like the Miz right now. It's doing something with those guys. I like to see Tamina randomly inserted in something that actually has dialogue and might matter. I have no idea where this is going. It might be awful in the end, but getting Lana out of the ring because she showed once again that she just doesn't belong this week and maybe helping her teach Tamina how to use that uh, passion inside of her to get the title shots and the things she deserves. It's something different than the status quo. It's a hero. Um, if you had stopped the question after Charlotte mooning the audience, it would have been a massive hero. Charlotte uh, so hot right now. Um, love, love me some <laughs> Charlotte Flair. It's a zero. Dude. Tamina can't talk. Tamina can't really work. Lana can't really work. How the hell is this going to be good? You're going, oh, we, we don't know what's going to happen, or we know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be bad. It actually can't be good. You know what would be good? Put Lana back with Rusev, her real-life husband. Put her on the mic so Rusev doesn't have to talk, and let her do the talking for him. That would be a hero. That's not what they're doing, so it's a zero. Yep. That's a win for Nick, three to two About over BC. Very, very good point on that last question. And you know, as the winner here, Bry, I would bogart your introduction to the Braun Strowman interview you conducted earlier, but I am a magnanimous individual on Instagram at the Costos. Bry, uh, tell us about that interview with Braun and lead us into it. You know, good talk with the monster among men heading into that SummerSlam. Of course, that card, August 20th, he'll be in that main event, a fatal four-way. Really got a chance to hear the real man behind the Braun Strowman character, the journey to get here. You know, SummerSlam will almost be the two-year anniversary of his main roster call-up, originally coming up, of course, with the Wyatt family. Specifically asked Brock, you know, what has really been the turning point in him being able to make such a large leap in just two years from big raw muscle to a legitimate main event contender. The biggest thing to me is knowing that I've been given an opportunity and not to say that everyone doesn't get an opportunity because everyone in this industry gets an opportunity. It's what you do with it. 
And every time they hand the ball to me, I put my head down and I run as hard as I can until there's nowhere left to run. And, and, and you know, I'm going to keep running. And so far, they keep handing me the ball and I keep running and I keep running and I score touchdown after touchdown <laughs> after touchdown, I feel like, you know. I think you're you're running through walls. You're breaking things over. But are you surprised at all? I guess this might sound weird. With your own athleticism, we see a guy that big. We expect you to throw people around. I'm not sure I expected you to be doing missile drop kicks and kip ups. Was that in your art? You know, was that a weapon for you two years ago? Uh, there's 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 quite a few things you guys haven't seen yet. Uh, I'm just beginning to open the pages of the book of Braun Strowman and, and bring out some of the things. Uh, I've shouted this from rooftop before, and I'll say it again. There's not another man on this earth my size that can do what I can do. Absolutely. That's the best way to sum it up. Well, look, this program, this run with Roman Reigns has really been incredible, uh, you know, from the physicality to the matches you guys are putting out. What have you experienced, though, working with Roman? Uh, maybe that's something fans might not pick up on from the outside in, because this guy is on a run of doing, you know, top shelf matches, top shelf programs. And for all the slack he takes, what do we not see in terms of what goes into making this so good with Roman? Roman Reigns is, if not the best, or one of the best performers in the world, hands down. I don't care what anyone says. The man goes out there night after night, and it doesn't matter who he's with. They tear the place down. And lately it's been me and him blowing the roof out of every arena we walk into on God's green earth. So that, That's the thing that people just don't get is the work ethic behind Roman Reigns. He's a tough SMB. I I've been the hand the whole time this program, just nailing him, nailing him, nailing him. And whether it's stupidity, stubbornness, or just heart, he keeps getting back up, which keeps giving me a reason to knock him back down. <laughs> he's uh, he's obviously pol- polarizing with the fans, you know, and, that, and and because of that, you've been getting such a, a large amount of babyface chairs. Now, from my ex- perspective, that's fear. That's that's fair because you know he attempted vehicular manslaughter against you within storyline, of course. But from your perspective, who's the face and heel in this feud? You know, that's been brought up before, and I feel like there. It, the days of face and heels are coming to an end. It's you're, We're superstars. We're two megastars going out there doing what we do, and that's entertaining. It doesn't matter who you like, who you want to cheer for. At the end of the match, you're on your feet. You're going crazy. You've lost your voice, and we did our job. Fair enough. I mean, it's, it's hard not to get – uh, pumped up, knowing how good the work you did with Reigns. Now to add in Samoa Joe, Brock Lesnar into this match at SummerSlam, for my money, you're taking the two best feuds in the company and you're combining them. So what are you most either excited about or nervous about at the idea of putting these four behemoths together in a match that means this much? You said it right there. It's four dinosaurs. You know, in, in today's era, the, the, the Giants are trying to be faded out. And three of the four guys are over 300 pounds in this match. The other one's no slouch at 270, 280. We're throwbacks. We're what put WWE on the map. We're attractions. We're superstars. We're giants, larger-than-life characters that you can't walk around on the street and see. So you buy the ticket, you come to the show, and you watch us tear the Barclays Center apart for the Universal Championship. When you came into the main roster picture, of course, you were the muscle for the Wyatt family. How important was that run, you know, on the road with Bray Wyatt, uh, the, the long trips, picking his brain? How important was that in your development? That's, that whole time with the Wyatt family, when Michael, Rowan, Bray, the, 
the whole three of them, you know, they they were a huge influence of where I am today. Riding the roads with them, kicking their brains, trying things out on matches, uh, using their advice and things like that. You know, it's just that's experience you can't get anywhere else. The hands-on experience, the that sucked or that was good. You know, an, an honest opinion where it's not some Joe Blow trying to tell you how your wrestling match is when they've never laced up a pair of boots or gotten a ring talking behind their keyboard, you know. This is real-life experience from guys that have been there and done that. So I think that's been another key of helping me escalate my career so quickly is surrounding myself with peers that have been there and done that. And just sometimes in life, you just got to shake your mouth and open your ears, and a lot of people have a hard time doing that. But here of any place, that's one of the most important things to do. For sure. When you split free from the Wyatts, of course, you had that epic run of squash matches on Raw in 2016. There was a stretch where it was the best part of the show. But what are those conversations like backstage, whether it's like a James Ellsworth, a Johnny Knockout? Do you have to basically be like, look, I'm sorry, I may crush your internal organs, but this is, you know, this is what's going to have to happen. Basically, you said it. I mean, I, I would be like, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, is there anything you're not super comfortable with? If not, we'll try and figure it out. But pretty much, I'm going to do my best to to kill you, but not kill you, if you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, at 6'5", 385, former strongman champion. Wow, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. 6'8", don't you be taking inches away from me. You know, was I did. That was a slip man. of the tongue. I do have 6'8", in front of me. I'm taking inches off the, off the big man. But you're living the gimmick, right? I mean, you got the beard. You got the haircut. It's hard for you, let's say, to to fit in in the civilian world. So when you try, when you're in, the, in line at the bank or the DMV, what are those looks and comments like from people? You know, I've always gotten looks. I've always been a little bit larger than nature intended, I would say. But now uh, with having a face and a name people know to put to it, uh, don't get me wrong, it, it's got its days where it's like I wish I could hit a button and be, I don't know, Kalisto size where I could blend into the crowd and people wouldn't notice me. But then, like, you know, there's other times, just, just for example, like I came home yesterday, I stopped at Chick-fil-A on the way home from the airport, and there was – Four little kids in there. As soon as I came walking in, they freaked out. You know, like at the end of the day, we're all big badasses and we have cool jobs. We travel around the world and stuff. But it's the the kids, the fans. Like if we didn't have those, we wouldn't have jobs. So when it all boils down to it, you know, it's cool. Absolutely. Well, we we ran brought a story on CBSSports.com a couple months back about your dad being the Babe Ruth of slow pitch softball over eighteen hundred career home runs. Please tell us that Braun Strowman has crushed a few softballs into the next zip code in his day. Yes, I have. I, I traveled around the country uh, trying to uh, crawl out of my father's shadow, which was. Uh, I mean, a feat that no one's going to be capable of doing, let's be honest. But I, I, I love playing softball. It was a huge, huge thing in our family. My whole family's done it. And I just, you know, I really appreciate you guys writing that article about my dad because it's a lot of stuff that's been swept under the carpet. You know, internet and stuff wasn't around back then. And there's a lot of unsung heroes that go miss, you know, that have done things in the past that the internet has forgotten about and things like that. And for you guys to bring light onto that, it, it was nice to, for me, my family, fans and stuff to be able to, to look even further into my life and what's gone into who I am and where I've come from. 
No question about it. And part of who you are was becoming a strongman champion and then making this incredible leap. Now, this week on Raw, Braun, you took a pretty hellacious spare from Reigns. I thought the one he hit you with leading up to the Royal Rumble on the stage was one of the vicious, most vicious ones I've ever seen. I asked this question of every superstar who comes this way on the podcast. What's the worst finishing move to take and why? Mm, yes, Let me see. Well, being that I'm Braun Strowman and uh, I haven't been hit with too many of them, um, I'd probably have to say a, a double choke slam from Kane and the Undertaker is probably the roughest finish that I've taken. <laughs> it would take two of the Brothers of Destruction to get to get the Mountain Among Men down. Well, Braun, we will see you August twenty. 20- it's the SummerSlam main event, the fatal four-way for the Universal Championship. Final question, where do you hope to be as a WWE superstar in five years? In five years, I've hoped to main event at WrestleMania a couple times, held the Universal Championship, the World Heavyweight Championship. Hell, I'll take the tag titles, Universal titles, and United States titles. I want it all. I'm hungry. I want everything, and I will not be satisfied until I have everything. Braun Strowman, thanks so much for giving us some time. Best of luck. Great watching you. You, You've you've made a big imprint in a short time. We look forward to what's coming next. Thank you, sir. Great stuff with the Brian Campbell and Braun Strowman. Can't wait to see Braun in that SummerSlam main event, the Fatal 4-Way for the Universal Championship against Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, and Samoa Joe. Guys, time to slide into the old DMs, BC. Tell the listeners how they can get involved. Guys, DM season is open. Hit me up at B Campbell CBS at the Costos or at Silverstein Adam. This show is for the people and by the people. You got something to get off your chest. You got a question, a booking scenario, a rant. Send it our way. If it hits us in that field spot, we'll read it on the show. Let's do it. It's time to speak your piece. All right. First up is Rob Lopez at Rob ATO says, do you think they're angling for a CM Punk in 2011, the end of money in the bank against John Cena? Or the Montreal Screwjob idea with Brock coming up at SummerSlam. Heyman alluding to the company and wanting to take the title off Brock, playing into the UFC things. Do you think that we're going to see a Screwjob finish in that fatal four-way that will take the championship away from Brock Lesnar? Thought this was a good idea from Rob Lopez. And he's a longtime listener of our show. I got to meet him before. A good dude. I will say this, Rob. A strong idea and it, it would make sense for how much they're heavily teasing, right? That he would pay the ultimate price, that this UFC thing is a reality for them, that Brock could go this direction. I hadn't actually thought, though, Nick, of this idea of straight up screwing him, not screwing him under the theory of the match, right? Putting a champion in a fatal four-way and one where he can lose without even being part of the of the ending scenario. I never thought they could go this direction, but it would protect Brock even more if they did. You think it's necessary, though, Nick? I don't know that they're going to do something like this. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Brock will probably lose the Universal Championship. And if that does happen, it'll be someone getting pinned by somebody else here. But I also, and this is why I'm kind of into the Raw main event here. Like, Rob, I wish I could give you a better answer here. I legitimately don't know what's going to happen. I wouldn't be stunned. Like I said, I think Brock will lose. I wouldn't be shocked if Brock won and this all turned out to be a swerve and get people talking that maybe Brock's going to leave. So I don't think that they'll go down the screw job line. I think Brock either loses because someone else loses or he will win and, and end up marking everybody out and swerving everyone. You need to keep him keep him strong until to make that Reigns win when it does happen, make it matter, right? To make it mean the most it could? Well, I think either either way you keep him strong. He either wins and he's strong or some, or he doesn't lose and he's strong. So I think either way that would work. 
guess it depends on whether you're going the uh, closer to a baby face push down the line or closer to a heel push down the line, right? It depends where the spot Roman's going to be in at WrestleMania if that's where they go next year. And you'd think they're going to go overboard baby face at that role. So you got to make Brock the angry guy. And I, you know, it's interesting. Our official SummerSlam predictions coming up next week in this corner of Professional Wrestling Edition with the Brian Campbell. Next up, Ryan Patrick Green at RP Green Machine 4. He says, with the May Young Classic coming up and the NXT women's talent, who do you think, which women's wrestler do you think will be pushed to the main stage and get a push on Raw or SmackDown? Brian, who do you like? Well, look, Asuka is the name here, right? You don't keep her undefeated for more than two years. She's uh, on the verge of basically breaking every record in terms of uh, in terms of longest time. I mean, you know, on the women's side, at the very least, in terms of her reign as champion, she's going to make an instant impact. Is there anybody else ready? Now, at the end of Ryan's question, he did mention he would love Ruby Riot on Raw. I don't think she's at that point. The problem is that Asuka's been so dominant, they haven't really built anybody up. Ember Moon's on a good run. I mean, the Asuka-Ember Moon feud right now is actually red hot. I just don't think Ember Moon's ready either. The only female at this point, and I will say, there's some strong young girls on the NXT side that are starting to look good. A lot of them have MMA-esque gimmicks. I think that's a right direction to go right now. The only names are the iconic duo, though, from Australia, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. I think, although they're not ready yet on an in-ring perspective, I think if they needed to be bumped up to the main roster, gimmick and look-wise and the way they carry themselves, they could pull it off. But the problem with an idea like that is they would just go on to oblivion and job like Mickey James and Dana Brooke does anyway. So why not make them stronger on NXT? It's that whole Billy Madison thing again about, I can't wait to go to high school, Billy, because you don't want to go up unless you're in that main event run. You're not going to get any time whatsoever. So send up Oscar, let everybody else keep working. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, at one point when we were talking about the uh, Money in the Bank ladder match, I I was remarking that there weren't enough women on the main roster. But now that I'm looking at it and we talk about how they can't book secondary feuds and they're they're struggling to find stuff for Charlotte and Becky Lynch, putting more women on the main roster is not going to solve anything. It's not going to help anything. So I think what they might want to do is figure out a way to bring up Asuka either with the belt or without it, with the championship, I'm sorry, Vince, or without it, um, and possibly bring up, you know, uh, Peyton Royce and Billy and maybe send some women back to NXT. I mean, you know, some of the women that you've mentioned could go back down there. Dana Brooke does not need to be on the main roster. She's accomplishing nothing. Mickey James. You know what she did accomplish, though? Her thong was hanging out of her pants on Monday night during that match, which I thought was pretty nice. Uh, Mickey James, for all her, for her return, she's done absolutely nothing. I'm sure she wouldn't want to be in NXT, but point is, I think some fresh blood in the women's division on Raw is worthwhile. Unfortunately, the only way I really see that happening is with some either demotions, if you want to call it that, or some cuts, because right now, it's just not working. Big shout-out for our third DM to our friend Asad Weaver at Mr. Weaver 83 Huge fan of the podcast, tweets us all the time. Asad, we appreciate you, buddy. And you want to appreciate me even more than you already do? At the Costos on Instagram, like my pictures so I can sleep easier at night. Asad says, R.I.P. John Cena's neck. In light of that blown spot that we saw on SmackDown in the main event last week, what's the scariest thing you've ever seen in the ring, Brian? Uh, I got to go back to one I was in person for. We're talking about a September 21st, 1998 episode of WCW Nitro. This is a random one, but being in person, sitting in the fifth row on the hard camera side in Boston, you get a closer up view. Random throwaway tag team match, Canyon and Raven against Los Villanos. You remember those Joe Bears? This was right after the It was Viano 4 and Viano 5, right? The guys with masks? 
Exactly. It was right after the flock turned on Raven. He cut a scathing promo before the match saying someone will pay for the flock's decision. What happened? 48 seconds into this beatdown, you have Canyon picking up Viano number four in a power bomb and Raven coming over with a diamond cutter at the same exact time. The way that Viano number four's neck tucked and hit instantly, you knew something was wrong to the point that Raven stood, kneeled over him and right away was talking to him to calm him down. Canyon comes over to try to calm down. The only guy who didn't know what was going on was Viano number five, who came in to try to break up the situation, thinking there was a fight. Canyon had to beat down Viano number five and throw him out of the ring to prevent him from hurting his friend's neck. Random WCW Nitro. By the way, that episode was also famous for Warrior appearing at the top of the arena with that laughing sound to freak out Hogan. And also, that was the peak of that Scott Hall drunk storyline against Kevin Nash and Kevin, you know, when it was red and black against white. Really you know, as the wheels started to fall off on the NWO run there. But I was in person. They stopped the match. They brought him out in a stretcher. The man, Viano number four, did retire from that, but returned in 2000 to WCW and is still wrestling today in Mexico at the age of 52. You saved your neck. Well done. There are a couple, I think, that you can go with. And I love that. And that's a nice little trip down memory lane. You want to hear a true story, a quick tangent here? So in 2001 was my freshman year at Fordham. I ran for class president. I don't know why. I think I was just like, hey, I'm bored. Let me uh, let me try and do something here. My campaign slogan was, who better than Nick? And I had T-shirts made that said, who better than Nick? Because I was obsessed with Canyon's, who better than Canyon? Rest in peace to Chris Canyon. He was a fantastic in-ring worker, first as Mortis and then by Chris Canyon. So there's a couple you could go with here. I, there were some hard bumps. Takamichi Noku almost got killed at a Royal Rumble being thrown over the top rope, landing on his face. Remember when Kevin Nash tried to powerbomb the Big Show, dropped him right on his neck? That was bad. And uh, at Sin 2001, what the third-to-last ever WCW pay-per-view, Sid comes off the top rope and oh. shatters his leg and is lying there with his, with his leg facing backwards and Scott Steiner comes over and kicks the leg a couple times and pins him like, hey Scott, his <laughs> leg's broken buddy, you couldn't, you couldn't see that but the one for me that scared me the most, and I actually laugh thinking about it now because got both the guys okay and it's so ridiculous, I don't know what year it was on Raw a couple years ago when R-Truth went for a plancha over the top rope onto the Miz and you know you're supposed to catch the guy that's falling on you. And Miz literally, and he didn't do it on purpose, obviously. Miz, like, moved out of the way, and R-Truth went down, like, on his head and neck onto the floor. Miz was supposed to catch him, and Miz didn't catch him. And I remember being like, oh, my God, like, R-Truth's dead. Like, sort of like the spot last week with Nakamura and Cena. So that's the one that stands out the most for me. Uh, I saw a man named Michael Francis Foley get thrown 20 feet off a Hell in a Cell into a table at ringside. And uh, it was violent, and it was scary at the time, and I thought he was seriously hurt. So that's my answer. And you know what's so crazy about that? Like, everyone remembers the throw off the table because that was obviously, like, the spot of all spots, maybe, like, the history of wrestling. The choke slam through the top of the cage <laughs> down to yeah. – that was not planned. Like, it was that was not supposed to happen. And the cage door comes down and hits Foley in the mouth and puts his teeth through his lip. And you see Undertaker up there, like, as if to say, like <laughs> – I just killed this guy. Like, right. I, I am the dead man, and I just and I killed someone. Now he's dead also. So, I mean, that match at King of the Ring 98, I remember watching it and remember being, like, completely, completely blown away by Taker and Mankind. Yeah, and, and to make that worse, of course, they rolled out the thumbtacks, and then he had a run-in late. Well, he couldn't even <laughs> put his thoughts together. But, hey, go back out and run in one more time. All right. All right. So we are through the DMs now. 
And now, you know, I look forward to this every week because it's my favorite sound effect that Brian Campbell plays as we enter the pay-per-view rewinds. I told you, I'm going to keep talking until you stop playing it because I love listening to it. It's great. So BC went first with the pay-per-view rewind. Um, uncensored 96, that atrocious doomsday cage match. I countered with a fantastic Austin Angle main event from SummerSlam 2001. Silver King, for his pick, went with Michael's Razor, the second ladder match at SummerSlam 95. Silver King, why'd you pick this one? So... The match at WrestleMania 10 gets all the attention, and for good reason. It was really good. It brought the ladder match back onto the map. You know, for WWE fans, put it on the map, you know, initially, really, I don't know of one before that. I'm sure there was, or if there wasn't, in independent scenes. And No, uh, Brett, Brett wrote in his book, I think that they did they did some at, at dark matches before, but that was the first one on a major WWE paper. Okay, so it put it really into the national consciousness, but everyone always talks about that WrestleMania 10 match, and it's really good. But I was telling BC this earlier— I have watched the SummerSlam 95 uh, Razor Sean ladder match as much, if not more, than that WrestleMania 10 match for one very good reason. It's better. So huh. I really like the match. Huh. SummerSlam as a whole, that was one of the first SummerSlams that, like, one of the first pay-per-views that I watched as a whole. So I remember that pay-per-view. I remember the match's place within it. And there's some stuff that happens during the match that I absolutely love, which I'm going to get to after we bring it back to BC first and then Nick. And I want to hear your guys' reactions to a match that I assumed you had both seen plenty, but apparently you hadn't. So, BC, talk to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a segment here about, about touching that field spot. This segment, it sometimes fills in the blanks in your blind spot as a wrestling fan. And as I mentioned, 1995, I'm dressing like Eddie Vedder, right? I'm, I'm wearing one of those white college hats where you, uh, where it's got the abbreviation of the college team name on there. I'm probably got a dip can in my back pocket. There's some Bud Ice can. I, can I guess, Miller, by the way, you know, with Miller Red? I would guess that you are said Cox for South Carolina Gamecocks. Cause I remember uh, those you couldn't hats. go. If you did that, then you, you were a jabron, right? I had the Colorado <laughs> Buffaloes buffs instead okay, or, or the Xavier University yeah. X-Men. Everyone of my age and my ilk knows the white college hat. They know the dip can. They know the Natty Ice cans. They also know that Miller came out with Miller Red only in 95 and 96. It didn't last. It was a great beer to, you know, to get your rocks off on early. Anyway, not watching a 95 because 95 was a train yet year for wrestling to the point I grew up in Connecticut, not what, 25 miles from Hartford. WrestleMania was in Hartford that year. WrestleMania 11, I think it's the worst WrestleMania of all time. And there were people in my class who got laughed out of the room when they said, hey, anybody getting tickets to go to WrestleMania? No, 1995 was the death of wrestling. So when I turn on this 95 SummerSlam and I go, wow, I can't believe I really hadn't seen this match before. As I'm skimming through the first seven or eight matches on this card, I don't have to play the Gene Okerlund sound effect for you to know that there was a lot of crap in that ring. But I will give this match credit because it was everything Silver King said it was and a little bit more and it didn't take but one spot the first holy crap spot for Shawn Michaels to get suplexed from the ring apron onto the floor by Razor hitting his leg on the guardrail that I went wow this is a great match and it's even greater in the context of when it happened because 1995 was the Drex let's 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 believe that um, since you guys sort of killed me with the In This Campbell podcast, can we get Brian saying that it was a train yek near for professional wrestling and play that at some point here? So it's not just me, Brian? The train yeah, we'll here. add it to the cliffhanger sound effect. The cliffhanger moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, the match is good. 
I'm not going to tell you the match is not good, but Adam, like you should almost be taken off this podcast for saying that it's better than WrestleMania 10. That is blasphemy. This match is nowhere near as good, the ladder match at WrestleMania 10, which you can make the argument. I would say it's probably, in, it's one of the three best matches in the history of WWF slash WWE. So that, first and foremost, it is not better. And like, I don't even think that we should promote that. Like that, 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 that and I want you to take that back when it comes back to you, because it's asinine. The WrestleMania 10 match was absolutely better. Bright, do you agree with that? WrestleMania 10 better than this one? Yes, it was. Okay, so not even close in my mind. I was shocked when I saw this rundown that our buddy Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer gave this 4.75 stars. Honestly, I would have given it 3.75, maybe 4. I thought it was markedly worse than the WrestleMania 10 match. I thought that this was more a collection of high spots and weird, like, working on Michael's leg, which never really factored into the finish. It was a weird dynamic with Michael's in that face roll, but the crowd was kind of cheering for Razor Ramon also. So all of those things put together, it's a good match. And any time you put Michaels in the ring, it's going to be good. And Scott Hall's a pretty decent worker, too. So the match itself is good. Is it great? I think it falls a little short of being great. 3.75 stars from yours truly. And it falls way short of WrestleMania 10, Michaels Razor. Well, if you're going to share your stars, let me tell you. I think the 4.75 from Meltzer in that point comes at the timing of when the match happened, right? It's sort of like, today, guys... You're not if you go back and listen to Sgt. Pepper by the Beatles, it's not going to be a five star album for you. It's just not. If you were listening to music in 1967 and it changed your life and it changed music, it will be a five star. So there's that some of that in there. I think ladder matches. All that is have a fair. A, it's a fair it, point, by the way, a fair point. That but I made. think ladder matches also have a built in thing holding them back because there's no false finishes that build that drama. There's a false ladder grab every once in a while. And this match did well doing that. But I think when you take the time frame, you take the spots, you take the guys involved. I was comfortable giving this four. Four stars, four even, and being it's fine. You know, I like. So we have the same Savage. rating, basically. I said three point seven five. Yeah, I, you know, I like a Steamboat Savage, which Meltzer somehow only gives four and a half. I'll never know, but I like a Steamboat Savage a little bit more. But for what this match was, this era, man, this is fantastic. Well, one other, what, one other thing here, um, and Savage Steamboat is a five star match, obviously. I mean, that's four and a half, crazy. Um. The other thing with this was they couldn't get the belt on the ladder at the beginning. They screwed that up before the match, and Michaels actually had to, like, Michaels takes the referee and goes, go away here. Michaels does it. And then at the end of the match, they had misjudged the height of where the belt was, and Michaels had three separate times at the end where he was trying to climb the ladder to get it, couldn't reach it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, of course this match isn't better than WrestleMania 10. And also, the commentary team was Vince McMahon with his exaggerated delivery alongside Side Doc Hendricks, a.k.a. Michael Hayes, the commentary sucked. They blew the spot in terms of grab, grabbing the belt off the ladder. How can you give this anything more than 3.75? I feel like All that right, might be before, generous. Before we, give the, before we give the floor to Silver King, I'm going to put over Doc Hendricks. He was he kind of carried this match. No, he, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was terrible. He went back and forth. At one point, he was like, come on, Sean. Vince is like, you're rooting for Sean to win? He's like, I don't care. I mean, it was great. It was fantastic. Please. Later, he's like, come on, Razor. So... I want to give you guys some history of this match and why the things, Nick, that you just mentioned, those are the reasons why it wasn't a five-star match and it was given the 4.75. I want to break this down. I'm a fan of uh, Schadenfreude, and I want to explain to you guys why this match is so great. First of all, between the bell... Before you do that, define Schadenfreude for the people that don't know what this is. It's basically taking pleasure in either pain or things that don't go properly. Okay, so you're a sadist. Easily, yeah, more easily said. You could, be, you could be a sadist okay. in some ways. So let me break a couple things down. First of all, from the bell to before the finish that Nick just mentioned, that was a five-star match for me. I thought it was 
fantastic. And if you put it in the context of the times, that's why it gets it. Let me give you a little background and a little insight into this match. First of all, this match came together in about two weeks. HBK was supposed to defend against Psycho Sid, but refused, this is HBK and the prime of his ego, refused to do the job and would not put Sid over. So they had to cancel that match, gave Sid a future match, and decided, uh, you know what, we'll do Razor, he'll do the job, he doesn't mind putting Michaels over, and Michaels will retain the title. So that's why this match happened, there was no build for it being a massive rematch, etc. Before the match, the referee, the dumb, dumb referee, hangs the belt on this little hook horizontally, which is impossible to take off. So Michaels, as Nick mentioned, gets a little pissy, goes off, you know, doesn't really pay attention to what he's doing, and pulls the belt vertically, and then demands it go back up. And Vince is acting, oh, we don't know what's happening. What's happening is it factors into the finish, and here's why. So Michaels super kicks. He hits the sweet chin music on Razor Ramon. They've, I'm bored already. They have dual ladders. Bad. No, no, no. They have dual ladders set up for what would have been an incredible finish. Razor's on the top of one. Michaels is on the top of the other. He's supposed to sweet chin music Razor off the ladder, and then realizing he's far away from the belt, jump into the air, grab the belt, and pull it down off for what would have been an incredible finish. Here's the problem. He completely missed. Huge mistake on HBK. So what does he do? He set uh, Him and Razor, very, in a very, very smart move, Put uh, Razor puts him in, a, in what's going to be the Razor's edge. HBK gets out of it and backflips him over the top rope. Now he has a second opportunity to climb the ladder and get the championship. So rather than just being smart and putting the ladder underneath the belt and climbing up, grabbing it, end of match, HBK goes, I want that awesome spot. I want to put myself over and do the leap from the ladder again and grab the belt. So he barely moves the ladder, climbs it up again, leaps, grabs the belt. But what happened? When you factor back to the beginning of the match, when HBK redid the title, he put the clasps clasps on backwards. So rather than pulling it down where it would release, he has it set where it won't release. So then he goes into full HBK mode, gets completely pissy, throws a fit in the middle of the ring in the middle of SummerSlam, puts the ladder back up, climbs, grabs the belt. That mistake at the end is why Meltzer did not give this a five-star match. But what I loved is all the intrigue behind it and how they screwed up at the very, a screw up at the very beginning of the match, a double screw up, factored in to a screwed up finish. Yeah, I love it. So like you say it's a five-star match. They screwed up at the beginning, they screwed up at the end. It's not a five-star match. The match itself, everything in between was fantastic. It, it was, no, but it wasn't though because it it's was. not it's not as good as the WrestleMania 10 match. Like you cannot say that because it's not true. So it so if that match is five stars, this match can't be five stars. And it can't be five stars if you blow the open and you blow the finish. It can't be. And that's why he gave it 4.75 and I'd give it probably 4.5. You but just I, said you just said you give it 5. No, I said between the bell and the finish was a five-star match. <laughs> I, I yeah, that's like saying, like, that's like saying, like, if you if you ended the Super Bowl in the third quarter, the Falcons would have Again, won the game. I'm not saying it's, it's not what happened. I'm not saying it's my favorite match of all time. I picked it because I enjoyed the match itself in between, and I loved how the screw up at the end factored into the screw up at the uh, screw up at the beginning factored into the screw up at the end. I enjoyed it. I thought the screw up at the end actually added a little bit extra drama, not knowing any of this. Oh, and I thought, stop it! Cl- Come on, man! There's like, a like he, they, they 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 effed up the finish, and you like that? It made me think because you think Sean's going over there and suddenly he falls off of trying to hang on to the to the belt. And I'm like, wow, is Razor going to come up? And he crawled up a little bit and you thought you were going to have one of those finishes. And then Sean gets it. Whatever. I will say there's a couple of time warp moments watching Psycho Sid watch on a backstage monitor. That looks like he's in like a janitor's closet. <laughs> the monitor screen is like smaller than an iPad screen. That was fantastic. And then afterwards, man, the ultra baby face moment of Razor and Sean shaking hands as fireworks goes off. And Vince is like, that's what it's all about. 
loud. That was so like 80s hokey yet happening in 1995. It shows you once again why moments like Hogan turning heel and Austin dropping the 316 really changed the business. This is what we got before that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Good match, not great match. Um, Silver King likes it. God bless him. Not as good as WrestleMania 10. Brian, you liked it a little more than me. Overall, though, Definitely a better choice than the Doomsday Cage match. Actually, Doomsday <laughs> Cage might have been better because it was, I think, more entertaining, actually, even though it was actually terrible. So, Bri, you have picked. I have picked. Silver King has picked. That means we have moved on to the fans' choice portion of Pay-Per-View Rewind. We got a lot of good submissions. Which one did you choose? Because ultimately, you are the man whose name is on the marquee. A lot of good submissions, including the last 24 hours, people fire and pouring them in. I, I had to go back to one of our dedicated listeners from the beginning after weighing them all against each other. We're going to hear from one of our originals, Omar Al-Rashid, right? At Omar underscore Al-Rashid. He says, hey, BC, just shooting my suggestion in for pay-per-view rewind. I got to go with In Your House Mind Game. Yes. 1996, Mankind versus HBK. This is the match, Omar says, that gave HBK a much-needed edge after winning the title, and it's the first match to really troll slash swerve the then in its in infancy IWC with the faked bot spot and almost shoot moments. September 22nd, guys, 1996 on your WWE Network. It's WWF In Your House 10 Mind Games. It's the main event of that card from the Core States uh, Center in Philadelphia. WWF champion Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. I know that I watched this match, but off the top of my head, I do not remember what happens. And that's why this segment fills in your blind spots just as much as it activates those field spots. Believe that. Silver King, have you seen this match? I definitely saw it the year it came out, and I watched it live, I'm sure. Um, but I have not seen it since. I, uh, I've seen it a couple times, and I saw it live when it happens. Um, this is, you know, it, it dovetails in with my pick last week. This is one of the most underrated matches in WWF, WWE history. It's superb. I'm not going to say what the finish is in case you've never watched it, but go out of your way. Make sure you watch it. I think this is a great pick by you, Bri. HBK, Foley, Mind Games main event in your house, September 1996. That hits me right in the old feel spot, and that's a professional segue as we move to the end of the show. What hit us in the feel spot this week? BC, you're up first. You know, on NXT, we are a week behind because we record these episodes Wednesday. So last week's NXT, guys, hit was a match. I mean, you could have you could have easily put in the Oscar spot that I mentioned there with uh, Ember Moon. But I'm going to go with Alistair Black, who week after week, guys, is giving you some of the stiffest matches in, in NXT or all of wrestling. He had a match against Kyle O'Reilly. You may remember the name from Ring of Honor, from NJPW in recent years, a 30-year-old out of Canada. His debut match was spectacular against Aleister Black. This was as stiff and MMA a match as you could have asked for. In fact, there were multiple legitimate MMA spots, not just, you know, stiff kicks, but even like side control moments of grappling on the canvas. This match was, if you're talking about, and we have talked about it the last few weeks, what is NJPW doing differently that you wish could be inserted into more of WWE. This was basically an NJPW G1 Climax match, not on the level in terms of overall rating, but in terms of attitude and stiffness, it stood out on an NXT card and stood out during a time overall where I think NXT is just not up at the level right now, this calendar year that it was in 2014 and 2015. There's some reasons to give you excitement as we, you know, transition and head towards the takeover at SummerSlam. But this was a match that got me excited. We're seeing a lot more names enter the NXT family that are coming directly from the indies. Kyle O'Reilly is one of them. Very good match here to activate that field spot. 
for me this week. One thing we didn't really talk about, that segment with uh, AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, and Shane McMahon on SmackDown, it was really the standout moment, and in particular, Kevin Owens. Look, he for, for him to not just reference the Montreal Screwjob in Toronto and then say that Bret Hart deserved it was, that was fa- the best part. Was fantastic. That. Then he makes a very pointed and smart comment that the McMahons are known to not just screw over Canadians, but screw over wrestlers in matches. And then he goes and uses WWE network footage, nice plug for the network, um, that they should, and this is something they should do a lot more often, tie in storylines from the past to storylines of the present, and show that even Shane McMahon, when Shane said, well, you think you're thinking of my dad screwing people, he goes back and shows Shane McMahon screwing Steve Austin uh, and trying to... And by the way, the sur- pay-per-view that I've mentioned several times is my favorite storyline pay-per-view ever. That's the moment I referenced when Shane screws over. Is that Survivor Austin. Series 98? Survivor 98. Series 98. That's the moment that I thought about. Shows the footage. Shane's there looking embarrassed. And Kevin Owens just nails him. One line after another. He is so good on the mic. That segment was so good because he made it so good. And it took a few that... We're all a little bit, I mean, we really want to see Kevin Owens and AJ Styles blow it out of the house in an awesome match, but it's been tired and it's been dragged on. It gave that, it, that just little extra adrenaline punch, and it also set up a potential Owens-Shane McMahon feud going down the line, maybe into Survivor Series. So that was my feel spot I, of the week. It's a great pick by you. That segment was terrific. Um, you're right that Owens was the standout. I like Styles' work as well, but you're 100% right. He was good. The, it was, it's Owens' timing when he, like, it's like he's playing baby face to the crowd and he goes, but he deserved it and they start booing him. <laughs> he has the crowd in the palm of his hand. He's, he's great. My feel spot this week, I, I feel like I've used, um, the fashion files slash, you know, fashion peaks and Breezango quite a bit in this, but they really are good. The introduction of Arn Anderson was such, so irreverent and so random and so hysterical. Um, that AA comes in at the end and he's like, yeah, I'm the one that did it. And the horse was named Tully and Arn, that's an obvious callback to people that don't know. Arn was in the four horsemen with Tully Blanchard and they were a tag team in WWE called the brain busters. So Arn was saying you should have named the horse Arn instead of Tully. It was just, it's brilliant. And those two are great together. And I want more now that it's almost like now that this case has been solved, I want a new case next week for the fashion files and for for Tyler Breeze and Fandango to go for because, quite frankly, I think that they are gold on the microphone. BC is someone who's an unabashed NWA WCW lover. I know that you loved seeing the Enforcer on SmackDown. Popped huge for that moment. It's right in my old school field spot. But I will say this, though, Nick, not to get in a big debate over everything today, but, man, the fashion peaks have long peaked. I mean, the shark just jumped. That was an awful segment outside of AA this week, and I have no idea where they're going, but I'm just not interested anymore. But an awful segment outside of AA, like AA was like half the segment, and it was amazing. It was the punchline, but, I mean, just the – I guess the comedy is is just getting extra forced and stale where it was smart for a while. I don't disagree with you that maybe like the like the the repartee was not as witty as it's been in the past, but the inclusion of Art Anderson made it an obvious win. Like if, oh, we're, yeah. if we're doing hero or zero for that segment, you're giving a hero to it, right? Yeah, uh, no, I actually would have given the whole thing zero because wow. I'm kind of it's almost cringeworthy outside of a double A coming through and I popped for that and he was great. Outside of that, the rest of it, I'm just like, oh man, this this is just not fresh anymore. It's just you know, it's just not good. All right, listen, I've got a sore throat. I need to go rest my vocal cords for a little bit. So let's end the show right here and now for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. I am handsome Nick Costos. Brian Campbell has two words for you as we end the podcast. We out.